I V M. Folks, welcome to Pesa Pesa presented by Credit, the most rewarding credit card bill payments app and powered by Quarter. I'm your host Anupam Gupta B50 on Twitter. I'm absolutely thrilled to have one of the largest mutual funds in India today, folks. ICICI Prudential Mutual Fund for the very 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 first time on Pesa Pesa my guest Chintan Hari up head of product development and strategy and we are going to talk about their ongoing Nasdaq 100 international fund. new fund offer nfo right after this short credit convenience break and folks welcome back to this really special episode in fact we are dropping this in the middle of the week so that if you guys are interested in the nfo you can actually have a look at it while the offer is still open so here we go chintan welcome to paisa paisa thank you so much for doing this for our listeners thank you anupam and a big hi to all your listeners it's always a pleasure thank you thank you talk to us what is the nasdaq 100 index fund you know let's just get an idea about the nfo um what does it track when does the nfo start when does the nfo close and what happens after that quickly yeah so if if of course we'll go into the details later but the new fund offer is of the icsi prudential nasdaq 100 index fund it opened on 27th it will close on 11th of october and uh, like you said it's an it's an index fund so it will be tracking the nasdaq 100 index Uh, and the nasdaq 100 index is one of the barometers which is used for technology sector in general and it's actually not necessarily only technology but we'll go into the details later but this is a popular index and i think from a investing perspective already globally more than 30 countries have products on the nasdaq 100 and more than 200 billion dollars of aum so uh, in india as well we have uh, options for people to invest in nasdaq 100 in our bouquet of overall investments uh this was something which was missing so we are adding this and we are very happy to bring to the indian audience the first index fund on nasdaq 100 yeah, see that's what i want to know more about the first index fund on the nasdaq 100 chinder see we've got i think you know when when i last looked we've got one nasdaq 100 etf um i think we've got two nasdaq 100 fund of funds so just to clarify for our listeners we've got three categories right first we've got the index fund then you've got the etfs and then you've got the fund of funds could we just explain to our listeners the difference between all three generic level not you know not particularly yeah. about yeah. um your nfo but just at a generic level what is an index fund what's an etf what's a fund of fund gets really confusing sure so uh, i'll 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 clear the confusion and i'll try to make it simpler for the investing audience because i truly believe mutual funds have a long way to go and we are very happy to see more and more investors investing and i think technology and thanks to uh, you know your podcast i'm sure the, the knowledge level of the investors is also increasing so uh, i believe truly that uh, from a mutual fund perspective it is actually not that complicated while most people find it complicated because if you don't know something it looks more complicated i'll demystify it for everyone so if if we look at uh, the mutual fund space technically mutual funds are understood to be equity investing so think mutual fund think equity investing par aisa nahi hota it's actually not like that uh mutual funds have practically everything from a financial investment perspective that you may need for your savings requirements liquidity requirements long term investing requirements right and within that there are active funds and passive funds active funds are those funds which are actively managed by the fund manager so you have an analyst team fund management team which are managing those funds actively and then there are passive funds which basically there is no fund manager but they track a particular index right 
and uh, within active funds you would have heard about large cap mid cap small cap on the equity side you would have about savings funds etc so there are equity funds there are debt funds there are hybrid funds within the active side within the passive side there is this concept called as index fund and there is a concept called as etfs which is what probably complicates people a lot because what is an active fund what is an index fund what is an etf it's actually not that complicated an index fund is basically a fund which has a particular underlying index which it is tracking for example in this instant case the nasdaq 100 index so our fund which will collect money from all of you unit holders will invest in the nasdaq 100 index in the proportion of the stocks held in the nasdaq 100 index so here there is no fund manager intervention the fund manager is not deciding which stock how much percentage it's essentially we are going to be following a particular index those 100 stocks in the proportion that they have in the index we are going to be invest this is a simple index fund where you invest and take out money much like any other active mutual fund right and then globally as well as in india there is one more extension which is happening that is the exchange traded funds now the exchange traded funds in the indian context have a have a similar built like the index funds you have index funds which are tracking index the etfs also track an index the only difference is that the etfs have units which are trading on the stock exchange so much like how you buy and sell a stock you have etf units which are traded on the stock exchange and that's the essential crux of what the difference is in terms of the nasdaq offerings also there is a nasdaq offering which is like an etf which is traded on the exchange there is a nasdaq offering in the industry which is basically a fund of funds so a particular invest uh, a particular fund management house is investing into another international fund which is investing into the underlying constituents of nasdaq 100 in our case the index fund which is the first index fund of nasdaq 100 in india whatever money we take from you we are going to be investing directly in the underlying constituent companies of nasdaq 100 and the constituent companies as you are aware are the well known companies like apple microsoft google alphabet it's called google essentially uh, facebook i mean you name the company zoom so these are companies which are part of our day to day lives and so we are going to be taking the money and investing in those companies that's the concept of index fund okay so there you go folks you've got an index fund an etf and a fund of funds as chintan just explained and how all three of them are different chintan let's talk about the nasdaq 100 now i love this the fact that you know we've got our first index fund based on on the nasdaq of folks for those of you who don't know nasdaq doesn't even have the word technology in it it stands for national Association of Securities Dealers Automated Quotations. That's the Nasdaq, and you really wonder what's that got to do with technology. But anyway, so the Nasdaq 100, you know, like like the um, like the index name says, it there are hundred stocks in the Nasdaq. So Chintan, talk to our listeners about you know why you should put in the Nasdaq 100 because a lot of people are saying that India is the hottest market in the world. But from your perspective, why does it make sense to put in to invest in the Nasdaq 100? Yeah, so there can be a podcast on India itself. Why India is the hottest market and why we like India, and that's why we say a large allocation should be in India. It's probably reflecting also in the fact that last one year India's returns have been head and shoulders above uh, the rest of the world. In fact, if you look at the comparison with the MSCI Asia uh, index, the MSCI Emerging Market Index rather is at a uh, discount to India, and the discount is highest that has been in many years. So India is doing well, thanks to all of us probably uh, participating in India's growth in terms of as a consumer as well. but just to go back to nasdaq and since it's the topic of discussion let me if you allow me anupam i'd like to take people please, to please. history and uh, you know just give a background because this is not something which gets discussed often so when i was also doing work on launching this fund i said i went into the deep dive and there were certain 
snippets of assets which were quite interesting so you mentioned nasdaq and the and the full form of nasdaq it's essentially in 1971 an exchange which was launched in new york that is in america so nasdaq stock exchange much like new york stock exchange or the chicago mercantile exchange uh, is a stock exchange in new york based in new york where close to 3500 securities are traded and uh, it is also a listed company nasdaq inc is a listed company uh, which is traded in us so nasdaq in 1971 was the launch of the particular stock exchange in 1985 in 1985 the world seems very different from 1985 to today and i'll explain how in 1985 nasdaq launched uh, two indices one is the nasdaq 100 financials index the other one was a nasdaq 100 non financially so typically if you look at it uh, just one step back uh, if you look at us uh, we typically look at dow jones industrial average which was an which was a index which i think got launched somewhere in 1800 or end of 1800 levels it is a very old index 1897 if i remember correctly the s&p 500 is another barometer which is uh, considered to be a, a sign of what's happening in us that was launched in 1957 and uh, if i look at nasdaq Uh, composite so nasdaq composite is made up of all three that's since 1971 then they launched but this particular index nasdaq 100 which we are speaking about this is part of two indices which were launched together on 31st of january 1985 if i remember the date correctly and these two indices one was the nasdaq 100 financials the other one was nasdaq 100 non financials at that time not surprisingly financials were the large part so this nasdaq 100 non financial index was a poorer cousin of the nasdaq 100 uh, financial index financial index being the larger part of the markets then and so that's where this nasdaq 100 non financial index as we know today is what we are discussing right now because technology as part of the overall mix has gone so much that this nasdaq 100 index fund which is based on non financial so nasdaq 100 does not have any financial stocks it is based of the top 100 names listed in nasdaq which are non financials and hence if you look at the composition of nasdaq 100 today it is 44% in technology 20 22% in uh, communication services and then there are obviously companies like starbucks or pepsico as well which are more consumer facing food and beverage companies so these are top 100 companies on the nasdaq stock exchange which are non financials there is no committee to decide which stock should be chosen or which stock goes out on the last friday of every december uh basically the rebalancing happens the top 100 non financial companies become part of nasdaq 100 that's as simple as that that's a brief history of nasdaq for amazing so it's not that somebody woke up one fine day and said that we we'll only have tech companies in this it's just that technology became so big in size that when you talk about non financial technology is the biggest one right that's right okay chindan thanks for that overview when it comes to international investing there are two indices which are huge okay nasdaq 100 is one and then of course there's a big one which is s&p 500 gets a little bit confusing so you told us about how the nasdaq 100 is non financial and therefore heavy on technology if you compare the nasdaq 100 and the s&p 500 for someone sitting here in india what do you think they should keep in mind while looking at both as options yeah sure so s&p 500 is made up of the top 500 names virtually in in us so there would be certain exceptions because s&p 500 is a uh, so any stock which has to come into s&p 500 has to come through the filters etc ISCO norms uh, which are there, and it's actually the S&P, uh, which Standard and Poor's Index Committee, which will decide which stock comes or doesn't come based on you know liquidity factors or whether they fit into S&P 500. But in general, these are the top 500 names, including banking, right? Including banking. So 
S&P 500 and Nasdaq, as things stand right now, will have an overlap. There may be a 50 to 60 percent overlap because most of the companies, like in India, you have the top heavy names, right? So if you take Nifty 50 and you take, let's say, any other company which does not have financials, there will be an overlap. Similarly, S&P 500 and Nasdaq also have overlap. I think the overlap is about 57, 58 uh, percent. But what is different is that S&P 500 has the 500 names, top 500 names. So it will have certain mid cap names, certain small cap names as well uh, within the S&P 500. And uh, from an investor perspective, S&P 500 will give you uh, a true representation of US and across all sectors, while NASDAQ is giving a representation of non-financial. So that's the major difference, I would say. Otherwise, practically both give you an exposure into global leading companies. Just that the last 10 to 12 years, if you see in terms of uh, you know, earnings growth, in terms of uh, you know, uh, sales growth or revenue growth, the Nasdaq 100 companies have outperformed. It's not surprising, right? Because the likes of Apple, Microsoft, Zoom, especially post the pandemic, that has even uh, you know become a, 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 a you know a faster space that is seeing growth. So anything to do with technology and the spend has increased, and many of these companies have got that advantage. So versus an S&P 500, in the last 10 years, the earnings growth of Nasdaq has been better, and that is also reflected in the performance of Nasdaq being better. But we cannot naturally bet on them uh, that it is always going to be like this because there may be a time where banking does better and Nasdaq does not have banking. So Nasdaq is a theme, uh, which is a good theme for the long run. S&P 500 has its own space. So if you want to play pure US, I would say S&P 500 is your uh, go-to place. If you want to play the technology space or the global integration space, then definitely Nasdaq 100 is also something which you can look at. I would say both have their space in an investor's portfolio. And today, obviously, there's an overlap of almost 58-59%. But NASDAQ is a more concentrated theme into uh, technology communication services. And hence, the growth that is there in the world today is being captured more by NASDAQ. Right. So before we end this segment, uh, Chintan, could we just help our listeners with returns, right? Because the NASDAQ 100 is a much larger um, index. I believe the market cap is what, some $19 trillion? Yes. So yeah. currently, and as we speak, the Nasdaq uh, is at nineteen hundred. Uh, sorry, nineteen trillion dollars. Yes. And we here in India, I think the, the yeah. So the Nifty, I believe, is probably at about two trillion, maybe, and the broader Nifty hundred is at I guess about two two point four uh, trillion US dollars. So when we look upon this as from a return perspective, the whole theme is of correlation. You know, of having a diversification into an asset that does not have that high a correlation with India, right? So can we just talk about that for a little while? Sure. So if you look at the last 15, 16 years, uh, you know, the NASDAQ, um, let's say earnings growth has been 20%, right? And, and and they have had patches of ups and downs, but in general, it's been very steady because technology-related companies have seen a growth. That would not do for India where there are many sectors, metals, oil, energy, current account deficit. So macro and micro will impact India. So if you look at investing, if you want to diversify geographically, you would probably get the benefit of rupee depreciation in your international investing. I'm sure many of uh, our listeners are looking at their children going abroad and studying, uh, or maybe just a good holiday outside once things open up and hopefully we can travel outside much more comfortably. So either of these uh, require you know, some amount of diversification. And if we can have an international investing, why not? Uh, so many investors are looking at international investing. And the way we see it is that whenever... Uh, such opportunities do provide uh, investors are looking at diversification geographically. So that's why I think the NASDAQ 100 fits in from an investor perspective uh, for diversification requirements and also benefiting from if there is any rupee depreciation uh, 
it's, it's all part of your asset allocation. I think we should definitely do a podcast on asset allocation at some point of time whenever you schedule. I know your schedule is so busy that I may get a chance no, only no. in February, March next year. Hopefully, no. hopefully in this financial year, I do get a chance, Anupam. But we should do one on asset allocation for sure. It will be our great pleasure to you know uh, take that to your listeners. But yes, as part of your asset allocation, NASDAQ hundred is something which uh, can be there. And should be looked at for investors. My schedule is completely open for the next three months because I've recorded for the next uh, three months. But Chindan, please, you know, come back to us in Jan. I would love to talk about asset allocation. It's such an important, such an important topic. And you've been tracking this sector. You've been in this job. You've been in this product, mutual funds, for almost two decades now, Chindan. This product literally did not exist even five years ago. Forget twenty years ago. I mean. You know, if you wanted to have an exposure to international in investing as as part of your portfolio, you know, to reduce the volatility of the Sensex. Sensex, see, it gives you. I think the long term returns are, I think, fifteen percent over whatever a forty year period. It's got a thirty percent volatility here. You know, you've got these massive drawdowns that come in. I'm not saying that the Nasdaq also does not have drawdowns, but I think that just from volatility and protecting your portfolio, that diversification theme plays really well, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And that's why the core investment that we ask our investors to do and have that as the first core is the dynamic asset allocation category, which in fact benefits from the market volatility and uh, you know moves your equity level based on valuation. That again will be another podcast, I'm sure, at some point of time, because we oh. truly believe that the dynamic asset allocation category is the first step to any investor's portfolio. And then you build on it. Today, we are talking about NASDAQ. That's geographical diversification. You first move out of the mindset that I will only be in fixed income. You move out to okay. I want to invest in equities. Within equities, of course, first it is, you know, standard large cap oriented equities. Then you go to thematic equities. Then you move to, of course, geographical diversification. So, I mean, it's like layer after layer after layer, and then you have a nice, beautiful. So it's it's like having a beautiful thali with many options. First, it's basically oh, yeah. dal roti, and then you build on it and have more exotics around it. So I would say. For your balance, for your better correlation and diversification, you need everything, including debt mutual funds, which are not spoken about. And someday, hopefully, we do discuss that also on your platform. So I think I've booked about seven slots already for you. Thank you. I wouldn't <laughs> mind doing ten or twelve. I mean, the FlexiCap got a very good response, right? The, the FlexiCap NFO that had come out recently. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and it did. The, yeah, uh, did really well, and that itself is another theme to talk about, right? Because between large cap, mid cap, small cap, having something that has a flexibility to go across the spectrum is actually good for your portfolio. And then, of course, BAF and DAF. I think I see the ads very often, and they're really, you know, they're, they're quite catchy. So, anyway, <laughs> folks, we'll come back to the Nasdaq 100 right after this small break. We'll talk about the product, the details, stuff like tracking error, stuff like cost, and a lot more. My guest, Chintan Harya, Head of Product Development and Strategy at ICICI Pro Mutual Fund. That's ICICI Prudential Mutual Fund. But before that, let's take a short credit convenience break and we'll be right back on the other side. And welcome back. And welcome back to this really special episode of Pesa Pesa. My guest, Chintan Harya, Head of Product Development and Strategy at ICICI Prudential Mutual Fund. Chintan, let's get into details of how the NASDAQ 100 index fund works, right? Because here we are sitting 9 o'clock to 3.30. That's how our markets operate. I, I believe the US, I think, opens at 6.30, depending on whether you've got daylight saving times or not, yeah. and then goes till, I think, 2.30 in the night out here. How does that work for me? How will NABs work here? Yeah, so much like any other international fund, since this is also an international fund, uh, the trading will have to happen uh, in the evening or in the late night, as you say. So 
we'll have the entire apparatus ready. We already have a ICSA Prudential US Blue Chip Fund, which is an actively managed fund. Uh, and that has been there since nine years, like I said. So we have the understanding of how one should be investing outside. You, there are elements like, you know, currency exchange, investing outside through, you know, uh, the exchanges in US. All of this is obviously something which we've learned over the last many years. So for us, it should not be a challenge to replicate that in the NASDAQ 100 or ICC Prudential NASDAQ 100 index fund. And uh, the orders would be given to the brokers much in the normal case of business and the uh, brokers will help us to execute it in the night in the uh, US. And the NAVs. Uh, so in India, typically the NAVs come in the night at 8 o'clock for the India dedicated funds. Here the NAVs come next day either at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning because once the markets close there, then you know the settlement happens in India and we'll be able to come out with the closing prices of uh, the NASDAQ 100 and come out with an NAV. So that's the only change I would say that normally any international fund will have an NAV which will not come on the same day, it will come on the next day. And that's how the cycle works. So that means that like today is a Monday, if I choose and it's like 3.30, roughly now in India time. So if I choose to put in an order today at 3.30, I will get today's NAV when the NASDAQ opens or will I get Friday's NAV? So no, so you'll not get Friday's NAV. If you invest today, which is before the three o'clock cutoff time, I think the cutoff time is three o'clock. So before three o'clock, if your uh, money gets transferred here and now I think it's on realization basis. So the money comes in before three o'clock. Um, the fund manager will deploy that money uh, tonight. And then tomorrow morning, the NAV based on tonight's closing prices in US uh, will get reflected in your NAV. So you will get your uh, NAV uh, based on the closing prices of today in US. Okay, folks, just keep that in mind. Okay, we've shifted now to um, realization of your money. That's an important point to note out there. Okay, Chintan, tracking error. Just first help our listeners understand what exactly is tracking error, right? Uh, because in, in in index funds, that is a critical part of getting the price that you see on the screen, as in the Nasdaq 100 index, and the NAV that you're paying. So if you could just help our listeners understand a what is tracking error, and b how will it work for the Nasdaq 100 uh, the Nasdaq 100 index fund? Sure. So uh, tracking error, Anupam, is essentially a concept. It explains uh, how much is our fund deviating from the underlying benchmark when it comes to its performance. It's not an absolute measure. For example, if the underlying fund has moved, uh, has given a 10% return, while the index has given a 10.25% return, the tracking error is not just the difference between 10.25 to 10. It's basically seen every day. Uh, suppose the market has moved, or let's say NASDAQ 100 has moved 1% today, and we have moved 0.98, right? Then next day, NASDAQ has moved again 1%, but we've moved 1.02. You may ask, why is this movement different if you are tracking the underlying index exactly the same? And that's where investors should remember that that exactly the same is an endeavor, but there are concepts or there are timeline differences, there are uh, rebalancing requirements, there may be dividends which have been which have gone X but not received. There may be a certain cash which we may need to keep in the particular portfolio to manage the day-to-day -day liquidity. There will be an expense ratio which will also obviously impact your returns versus the benchmark. So the practicality of running the fund on a day-to-day -day basis means that our performance will be slightly different from the benchmark. Normally, normally it is within the range. If you look at any of our domestic index funds or uh, ETFs, the tracking error is way below 20, 30 basis points. So um, less than 20 basis points means if effectively it is tracking the index very well. But 
if you look at international funds there is also a concept of exchange of currency right so there is a currency exchange cost that needs to be borne so there is a currency exchange then there is a timing effect also right instead of the exact day and price if you do it in the middle of the day there is a timing effect so most of the uh, international funds which are let's say a benchmark oriented or our index funds or fofs or etfs will have these challenges and hence you will find that for international funds this tracking error is slightly more than the domestic funds uh, it is a nature of how the international markets are working because of time zone differences and currency exchange differences but from from you as an investor it is still the most cost efficient way of replicating a particular index because obviously as an institution we can potentially have better rates uh, on the exchange or we can have a better execution efficiency so i would say that tracking error while it is important uh, barometer uh, don't hold yourself back from thinking too much about tracking error and uh, not invest outside because that's not a uh, that would probably do disservice to your overall uh, allocation uh, and wealth creation yeah related concept chintan the gap between nav and the traded price i don't know how you know whether this is more to do with etf or whether this has more to do with index fund but could you just help our listeners understand this sure so uh, we also have a very large etf business and uh, you know uh, i i we, we basically have a very wide bouquet there as well so in fact i i got the eighth topic of discussion with you that is the entire <laughs> etf bouquet that we have and you know passive i would say passive funds among the domestic side we have it all uh, across uh, sectors across themes and we are and launching also, new in, in uh, they track you know some indices which people probably have not even heard of right the low volatility yeah and stuff like yeah. that yeah you're right i it's would love to have you back on the show for that it's been more than 5 years since we launched in fact uh, 2016 july is when we launched the icsc potential level 30 etf took its time for people to understand but now pretty much people are understanding it and gaining it so that smart beta and the concept itself is a good topic of discussion for all the listeners but uh, apart from the smart beta the it information technology etf the private banking etf the fmcg etf so uh, the idea is to provide like i said a one stop solution for all investors requirements and obviously manage it efficiently for the investor there obviously uh, the concept which you ask right that but there is a traded price there is an nav why is there a difference between traded price and nav at times this is specific to etfs so an index fund you will not need to worry about it because in an index fund there is no concept of trading you basically invest your money at before the cut off time and you will get the dnn nav so there is no complication that and same likewise it works for redemption of an index fund but in an etf the underlying fund has an nav and because the units are traded on the exchange there is an exchange traded price so there will be an exchange traded price let's say the nav is 20 rupees for a particular etf uh Uh, the nav the underlying fund nav would be 20 and it is traded on the exchange the exchange traded price is determined by buyers and sellers so there can be sometimes a premium sometimes a discount normally it is around the nav there is not a very wide difference if it's too illiquid an index if the index is very small or the etf is tracking an index which is not very popular you will find that the difference is higher but that's where the authorized participants come in so each amc appoints authorized participants to ensure that whatever is the nav not just the closing nav but there is a live market nav right so when the prices move up and down there is a live nav which keeps happening or there is a, the 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 live prices tend to change the nav up and down mm. uh, and if the etf is very different from the live nav you as an investor can benefit or lose and that is not the objective you want to manage it efficiently for you as well so there is an authorized participant who will try to keep the uh, let's say difference between nav and etf narrow 
So if the NAV is 20 and the ETF is trading at 21, and if you buy it at 21 instead of 20, you are the loser. And if you get it at 19, you are the winner. So the idea is to keep it as close to the NAV. That's what the authorized participants work. In ETF is in a nation stage in India. We truly believe that as more investors come in and more investors start trading in, it will get narrower. It used to happen in the stock exchanges also. The illiquid stocks had bid spreads, which used to be wide, and there was arbitrage opportunities. Mm. In ETFs, the similar thing is happening right now, wherein because they are not most popular, they have a bid spread, but we try to narrow it as much as possible through our authorized participants. So to that extent, of course, this that gap between NAV and trade price does not arise at all for index funds at all, right? Because they're index funds. We are not going to sit and trade them day in, day out. And, you know, I guess that's 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 one unique aspect about um about the index fund versus the ETF. Okay. Chindan, dividends, bonus, splits, US has a very active corporate actions market. I mean, Apple has, for example, bought back a lot of their shares in the last, whatever, five, five ten years. How, how, how does this work in general for an index fund? And, you know, therefore, how will that work for the, for your NASDAQ 100 index fund? So generally, if you see uh, any corporate action, uh, passive funds generally do not participate actively in the corporate action unless they are forced to. For example, if there is a rights issue, then you may need to do something. But if there is a buyback, passive funds generally do not participate. The buyback ensures that the number of stocks of that particular company go down and effectively their market price goes up, the benefit of which comes to the investors. So you don't need to do anything there as well. As far as dividends are concerned, the dividends are obviously received by our fund and there would be a concept of, uh, let's say, slight withholding tax, which is there on the dividends. Uh, but again, from an investor perspective, since these are growth-oriented companies, uh, it does not impact too much because the dividend yields are itself lesser and we are likely to basically focus more on getting the capital gain part of it. And uh, as far as capital gains are concerned, capital gains in US and equities are not taxed. So that's not a stress as far as investors are concerned. So from an investor perspective, it is a tax-efficient vehicle in that sense wherein you're not losing out too much. And more importantly, you're getting access. Sitting in India, your money is invested in India. So this does not form part of the LRS requirements also. So that's also one more advantage with the investor would have. And the LRS is what, 2,50,000 US dollars per year, right? That's right, per and individual, yes. Will, so, but that won't apply now for the NASDAQ 100 index fund. Right? I, I, I'm investing in rupees out here, so I'm not under the LRS umbrella, right? No. No, correct. So you are investing locally and that it's not forming part of your calculation of $250,000. Sure. Just winding down the episode now, Chintan, cost of the fund, right? Because, and maybe if you can just help us with some perspective on how the index fund cost compares to an ETF and to a fund of funds. That might just help our listeners more. Yeah, so uh, the cost typically are regulated by the regulator. So you cannot charge more than 1% in general for ETFs, FOFs, which are underlying based of ETFs. So the regulator has kept a cap. Within that cap, most of the funds will be competitive. It's a competitive world. So everyone would try to be around the same area wherein uh, you know uh, you get uh, the benefit of basically running the fund. There are costs which are there for running the fund, like index licensing, et cetera. You take those into account, then there are obviously costs of managing the fund. And then over and above that, you basically and keep keep something for yourself. So that's how generally most would price it. If you look at the comparison as such uh, between the ETFs or the index funds, there again, there will not be much to choose. It's essentially how comfortable you are. Because if you're investing in an ETF, of course, there are costs like brokerage, et cetera, which you're investing in ETF, which again is not a problem because if you are timing it, if you're an active trader, and if the markets are down today and you get that at a lower price, uh, 
uh, you get you get the advantage of that. And on the other hand, index fund, you don't have to worry about brokerage and all. You just invest there. There is no entry load. There is no brokerage involved. And in this particular fund, there is no exit load as well. So there are no over and above costs other than what is there as far as the underlying fund is concerned. So if you look at a 50 basis points expense ratio or 40 basis points expense ratio, as the case may be, they are well within the 1% limit. And again, don't look at expense ratios as a decision-making tree. They are important, but they are unlikely to be different for the funds which are similar because ultimately competition ensures that you know funds are similar priced in general. Uh, but it's more about what fits your overall investment requirements and uh, what is more convenient convenient for you to invest. So uh, index fund is very convenient for SIP, etc. You can choose that as well. Thank you. So what would be the cost? I mean, do you have any indicative range to offer to our, our listeners now for the NASDAQ 100 index fund? Yeah, so the uh, it, it, if, if you look at the overall cost uh, for the investors, it will be 50 basis points and 1% for the direct and the regular options respectively. Very interesting. You said 100. So you, you said 50 basis points for? The direct option. And 100 for the regular. Much, and 100 for the regular option. That's and as no of int- now. That's as of now. That can keep changing up and down based on. And of course, investors do get intimations whenever the changes happen. But uh, as of now, that's the likely range at which the fund will come. Okay. And there is no entry and exit load at all? There is no entry and exit loads in the fund. Fantastic. Okay. So, last question, Chintan. How does taxation work out here? Long-term capital, you know, long-term capital gains, short-term capital gains for the NASDAQ 100 index fund? Yeah. So, if you look at, uh, let's say, the capital gains for in Indian context, I'll simplify it even further as a generic rule. So, any of your investments in an Indian fund, wherein there is more than 65% in Indian domestic equity, you get the advantage of equity taxation, right? Apart from that, any other fund that you invest, be it a gold ETF, gold savings fund, international fund, like the NASDAQ 100, or any of the debt funds, you have basically what is called the debt taxation or the taxation wherein the holding period for long-term is three years, And if you hold a particular, like for example, in NASDAQ 100, if you hold it for more than three years or 36 months, you get the advantage of long-term capital gains with indexation. That is, you get the indexation benefit and on the indexation benefit. So your cost gets increased by the index. RBI comes out with the cost inflation index. And whatever is the higher number as far as your cost increase is concerned after three years, you basically deduct the realization if there is a capital gain. On that capital gain, you will pay 20% plus some sort of charge, etc. So the idea is that you keep for more than three years, you get indexation benefit and you pay 20% uh, on that. And if it is less than three years, in the case of NASDAQ 100 or in debt fund, it will be your marginal rate of tax. Uh, that is how it works for the debt part of it or the debt taxation and international funds and gold. In equities, as you are aware, if it is more than 65% in domestic equity, your holding period is... Uh, considered to be long-term if it is more than 12 months. And if you have held a particular equity fund for more than 12 months, you will be paying tax of 10% with says. And if you are holding less than 10, uh, 12 months, it is 15% with says. So this is how it, the tax structure is. It is just essentially two parts to it. One is equity, one is debt and others, which includes international and gold and NASDAQ, etc. Okay, Chindan, so we, we are almost done with the show. I just realized, you know, there is... There is one question that I have to ask. The NASDAQ 100 has done so well in the last 10 years, right? Am I actually, I don't know, maybe catching something that's at its best or outlook-wise, future-wise, what, where do you think the NASDAQ 100 yeah, is? Yeah, sure. So this is a question which is an obvious question when something does well. In fact, our whole 
own theory suggests that if something does very well, you need to be cautious while investing. And hence, uh, like I said, your overall asset allocation matters within your overall asset allocation. If there is scope for diversification geographically, you may look at the NASDAQ 100 along with the other options that you have. But more importantly, from the NASDAQ 100 and its construct itself, if you look at the underlying companies, uh, many of these companies are capturing the global pie available of consumer spending, right, which is growing. So if it's Africa or in Asia or in India, uh, the growing pie has been captured. And these are technology leaders, these are research and development leaders. The average spend by the NASDAQ 100 companies is $10 billion, close to 80,000 crore rupees. Wow. Very few Indian companies have turnovers which are large. I'm talking about the average R&D spend that these companies are doing. And typically, if you're investing in R&D, it definitely helps you to get the benefit of that in terms of superior product quality, superior uh, service quality. And we all know how uh, once we start using many of these companies' products or services, we tend to get hooked to that because there is advancements which keep happening. They keep adding on to features and it's more and more of our timeshare, mindshare, and of course, our wallet share. So if that's going to happen and R&D spends which they're doing it will probably help their growth. That essentially ensures that these companies' uh, pie of the global share will probably remain steady or grow. Now, of course, as part of the market risk, if the global equity market risk should go through a volatile time because of interest rates increasing, and again, that can be a different discussion topic and a podcast in its own right. But that will mean that these companies will correct much like the rest of the world in terms of equities. And that time, you should be able to add more. So get your asset allocation right. Have certain portion in equity, have certain portion in debt or fixed income. And then when the market's correct, increase your equity allocation, be it in India or abroad, depending on the relative valuation. So I would say that's how we look at NASDAQ 100. It's not, we normally don't look at investments in absolute term. It's always relative and it's always part of asset allocation. And that's what we request all investors to do. Thank you. I got, look at that. Folks, I, I think you can't, you know, that is such a nice summary of how you have to plan your investments. Get your asset allocation, right? That's really more important than anything else. And Chindan, you've given me, you know, there are so many ideas to talk about uh, in our conversation so far. But I wish you and ICSA Prudential all the very best for this new product launch. I hope that it gets a good response. And I hope to have you back soon on Pesa Pesa. Folks, that is a wrap on this episode of Pesa Pesa. My guest Chintan Haria, Head of Product Development and Strategy at ICSA Prudential Mutual Fund. Chintan, thank you. Thank you really so much for doing this for our listeners. Thank you. Thank you to all your listeners as well. I hope I was able to add value to you and your listeners. Thank you. Cheers. I'm sure you did. And now, the great privilege tip of the week. Folks, index funds and ETFs sound similar, very different. Read up on what is different between an index fund and an ETF. ETF is a daily traded product. You'll probably call your broker or you will use an app where the price where you see the price changing of the ETF throughout the day. Okay, that's based on prices that change every day. That's an ETF. Okay, and the costs are different. You pay brokerage out there. An index fund is based on NAV, net asset value. There's no brokerage there. You're dealing directly with the mutual fund. So please understand the difference between an index fund and an ETF. We've spoken about it at length on a lot of episodes of Pesta Vesa. Um, and listen to those episodes. If you don't, just reach out to me on Twitter on B50. And thank you, listeners, for listening to this episode. If you're enjoying this show, please do share it with your friends, family, and people that you know. That would be really helpful for us. You can listen to this show and other interesting shows on the IVM Podcast app or ivmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are IVM Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to reach out to me, I'm your host, Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter and B underscore 50 on Instagram. 
Thank you so much for listening to Pesa Vesa, presented by Credit, the most rewarding credit card bill payments app, and powered by Quarter. No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision.